0: I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Vinks, You know that I'm very excited at the moment because I'm preparing a talk. Yes i'm speaking at the inaugural natural pet care show that's happening in islington at the business design center in june and that's why we're jumping on zoom now to talk to the co-founder the amazing natural health guru lynn mctaggart Lynn McTaggart, how honoured am I that you're on A Dog's Life? (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here, Anna. Well, it really is amazing because lots of people who listen to A Dog's Life know that I'm very much a fan of alternative medicine and alternative practices in this age where conventional beliefs are kind of so predominant, maybe. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be speaking at your upcoming event in June actually at the Get Well Show but Lynn you know you've you've written seven books and you co-founded the magazine that I also love called What Doctors Don't Tell You. Explain a little bit how it all began and whether animals had any influence in your direction at an early age. Well, I
1: mean, I grew up with loads of animals. Um, my uh, mother had a special, wonderful um, uh, mutt called Mac. And Mac was almost like Nana to us in Peter Pan. She, I mean, I remember swimming and and her and getting out a little too far and, and Mac coming out and nudging us back in. So we had an amazing essentially psychic connection with that dog. And then my mother bred her. And so we ended up with another dog, one of her offspring called Pepper. And, you know, we just had animals. we had cats, we had guinea pigs, we had salamanders. So very much I was surrounded growing up with, with other kinds of living things. And I've always been interested in psychic connection extrasensory perception, the power of intention, that was always something. And maybe it was that seeing the psychic, intuitive understanding of, of Mac may have moved that along, but it was certainly something that I always, always accepted that, you know, she somehow knew she would growl if people came near the nursery who were not people she knew when we were little. As I say, she was Nana and Peter Pan. So I think that may have been part of it. Um, how I came to what docs and alternative medicine as a career uh, was was later. And it was, I was always interested in holistic health. Uh, you know, I was one of the early eaters of granola, you know? I mean, I was into that, I was into uh, TM when it first started. Uh, And I was always interested in those things, but it really got, it took for me to be ill for me to decide to do this as a career. Because in the early, in my early thirties, I got ill and had all kinds of weird symptoms and no one knew what I had and I went from everyone from conventional doctors to the outer rim of alternative uh, treatments. And you know, along that way, I, I learned something about my relationship with my mother and I tried every possible thing you can think of and I still didn't get better. So I finally realized if I'm going to get better, I'm going to have to take charge of this myself somehow. So I researched what I thought I had and then I found a real pioneering integrative doctor. That was unheard of back then, a nutritional doctor, environmental doctor, who basically worked out that, you know, I had what is very common now, a, a kind of faulty microbiome, but back then wasn't at all. And we worked together and I and I got better, um, basically with supplements and a, a number of other things. But what was really impressive to me was the fact that we were partners in this. He was a very unusual doctor. Instead of a doctor-patient relationship of parent-child, he was essentially my partner and wanted me to take responsibility also for getting well. So I was so excited by this and and influenced by it that I, Kept talking about it when I got well and probably got pretty boring on the subject. And so my husband finally turned to me and said, don't tell me, tell the world. And that's how we started together. We started what was then a newsletter, What Doctors Don't Tell You, 32 years ago. And and then in 2012, we turned it into an
0: international magazine. Gosh, yes, gosh, but it is tapping into, isn't it, really, something that I think everyone is fascinated about, even if people are scared to be fascinated. My journey really all came through dogs and helping Molly, my first miniature bull terrier, uh, get well after She uh, was diagnosed um, with suspected bladder cancer after a blast of vaccinations that were given to her, sadly, sadly, erroneously. You know, that took me on this journey to study more about uh, homeopathy and acupuncture, red light therapy, herbs, you name it, and how really it can integrate into our modern lives and and complement conventional medicine, right? Oh, absolutely.
1: And as you say, just as it is so helpful for human beings, I mean, what we find is with both humans and animals, medicine is fantastic when there's an emergency. You know, you don't necessarily want just homeopathy when you have an emergency. You know, for things like surgery or emergency medicine, Western medicine is unparalleled. If I get run over by a truck, I don't just want homeopathy to put me together. I want the best and finest of conventional medicine. But for pretty much every chronic issue or prevention, modern medicine doesn't know what to do. And that's where alternative medicine. I like to call it holistic medicine because it's not just complementary like having a face, you know, having a facial. This is a, a true alternative in terms of the way it perceives the body and how it wants to treat it. So I like holistic or integrative medicine. And I think for animals, as you say, I mean, we cover animals in our magazine what doctors don't tell you we have a monthly column on pets and we've done even done a publication called what vets don't tell you and it is looking at over vaccination you know it's a it's a it's a it's an annual event with most animals and dogs and cats and yet the, the evidence for whether or not it's necessary that often or even at all is very questionable. And there are, just as there are holistic solutions for humans, there are just as many holistic solutions for animals, not just better nutrition, but also homeopathy, acupuncture, massage, um, herbs, you name it. There are also those kinds of treatments for animals too with great results.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of great vets now. I mean, one was recently on our podcast, actually, Dr. Karen Becker, who is one of the vets that, you know, I learned from in my study and her latest publication, actually, The Forever Dog is, is absolutely amazing. And, and in this, she does touch. It is mainly about nutrition. But, you know, there there are techniques now called a titer test, which I really hope to mention and integrate into my talk at the Business Design Centre in June. Lynn, can't work. that you can actually monitor your your dog's immunity and there is actually no need (laughs) to do annual boosters at all and in fact molly my my miniature bull terrier her titer test was a landmark right it was landmark because it was very very new this titer testing this was back in 2008 and her body proved the duration of of immunity to these vaccines you know, that do last a lifetime, not just a year, because uh, she'd only had her puppy shots. And then at age eight, she had a titer test, and she was totally immune. You know, the levels from this serological blood test proved that her immunity was still really, really high, and she didn't need to have a booster shot. So it is about educating the community, really. But, you know, this holistic word, Lynn, I I want to go into that a little bit more, I mean, do you think arguably it's been overused slightly and this holistic energy? Do you think this really kind of goes bigger to define our existence? You know, I know that in your book that you wrote called The Bond, that you delve into this larger consciousness, which is a little bit like in episode one of A Dog's Life. Our listeners know this. When I spoke to someone I'm I'm, I'm also in awe of, Rupert Sheldrake. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, holistic, when I'm talking, I only use holistic in medicine because uh, people shy away from alternative medicine and and are a little frightened by that term. What I really mean is alternative medicine and alternative when it has to do with chronic issues uh, or preventive issues for humans and their pets. Um, I think alternatives work better, as I say. So happy to call it alternative medicine. But as you say, holism is at the very heart of all of the writing that I've done. My book, The Field, really described uh, a universe where instead of being separate entities operating according to fixed laws in time and space, which is the way we've been defined in science, for about 300 plus years, we are actually, all of us, all living things, vibrating packets of energy connected by one giant quantum energy field. And as you say, um, that looking at that and writing that book moved me on to the question of ESP and intention. That thoughts, there was lots of evidence that thoughts are not only things, but things that affect other things. And I also looked at psychic issues and our ability to perceive what other people are thinking, our ability to transmit. And of course, I have written about Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and his work with dogs that know their owners are coming home. That psychic connection, that psychic internet that uh, is there with animals and you know I, I, I actually saw this firsthand with a brilliant thing that happened with our late dog Ollie a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. So Ollie was quite a funny haughty dog you know because those dogs have been bred by essentially royal decree in the initial uh, stages of creating Kepler King Charles Spaniels for King Charles. And so we had some neighbors who were a little bit insulting to us one time. And we, I think a little while after that, we met them in in a common that we lived nearby. We were walking Ollie. And Ollie did something I have never seen him do before or since. He walked up to them, cocked his leg, and very calmly weed on one of her Wellington boots and then (laughs) turned around and weed on the other one. Never seen it before or since. And we just had to prevent ourselves from killing ourselves with laughter. It was just extraordinary, but he had picked up something and so Ollie actually was my inspiration for the book, The Bond, because I saw The Bond was all about were we meant to be competitive or were we supposed to live a more connected, holistic life? And the book was all about how to do so. And the reason I wrote it was I saw my dog, the friend, our next door neighbor's dog, T-Bone, who was a little affin pinchered girl despite her name. Now, T-Bone was neutered. Ollie was not. Nevertheless, this was Ollie's best friend. When she came over, I watched him. He would let her play with his toys, drink his water, eat his food. And he'd always let her win at a game, even though he was slightly bigger. I also saw him one time digging in our garbage, in our rubbish, for a chicken carcass to share with her. I mean it was like something from Lady and the Tramp. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. There's no biological evolutionary advantage here. He just loves T-bone. And, you know, he he's not going to propagate his family line with her. It it completely countered everything we're told about how animals behave, why they behave that we're you know we are operated by our genes all of that darwinian stuff was just out the window with this and that actually
0: that actually inspired me to write the bond Gosh, I just have to read it now. I love affin pinches, by the way. They're known as the little monkey dog. And uh, <laughs> aren't they, Lynn? They're, they're very sweet. But yes, and, and this is the thing. It's it's about social bonds, isn't it? And I think, you know, we are living in a modern world where we live in houses, you know, certainly in the West, in the Western world, really. And it, it's interesting to see animals interspecies connection I, I, I'm i a great fan of that expression you know relationships between dogs and cats for example you know I've got endless stories about my cat um, it was a, a street cat that moved in with Molly and I oh, nearly 12 years ago now you know, Molly hated cats prior to that as we had a neighbor's cat that would sit on the flat roof next door and just sit on the edge of it and flick her tail and drive Molly mad when she went in the garden. And then Gremlin arrived, squeezed through our, uh, this little trellis, and I just got thought gosh little cat please don't do this he was a kitten anyway they became the best friends unbelievable like the odd couple and uh, when molly passed you know gremlin you know knew you know i i kind of feel that i don't know what you think about this That cats i know you've got cats so do you think cats have a bit more of the esp than dogs
1: well cats
0: are they
1: are very sensitive but to be honest um anna you know, animals of all varieties have extraordinary ESP. There is a documented case, and this was very recent, of a guy who was an elephant rescuer, who I think this is somewhere in Africa, who had helped a batch of animals, uh, uh, elephants that were under threat of having their tusks removed, et cetera, by, you know, by poachers. Um, And so he got, he created an elephant sanctuary. And I swear to you, this is the case. It was actually documented in the newspapers, et cetera. When he died, the animal sanctuary was miles and miles away. When he died, the elephants came over one at a time in the line, came around his house, mourned for like a day or so, you know, just giving him respect and then went back. Now, what was that? That was an amazing example of the psychic ability of animals. But it's so evident in so much stuff. You talked about Rupert Sheldrake's work. He's done those amazing studies where he put, um, a uh, a, I think it's a gray parrot, um, a special kind of parrot that, but also is known to be uh, psychic in one room. And then he put its owner about two stories down and she would flip over cards. And one card was a flower and the bird, you know, and these are birds that can talk, would say, had said, and they, again, he he filmed this, documented this. Oh, what a pretty flower. And then, he showed people in a bathing suit. And I think the 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 parrot said something hilarious about these two little, you know, these people being, you know, it, basically nudies. And so the parrot was constantly picking up what the cards were showing. Oh, I know. He said, what a pretty body, what a pretty body. And so <laughs> The parrot was not only demonstrating the ability to speak and have cognitive ability to um, communicate, you know, cause these weren't words, he was just parroting back, but also he was, um, he was also picking this up psychically. And there are just so many amazing instances of this. Um, we wrote about it in a course we did um, called Living the Field. We have sections of it, and one of them is Animal Energies. And it's all about the psychic ability of pets. And pets are known, dogs and cats known to pick up cancer. They're known to, um, and particularly dogs, to warn their, um, their uh, owners, that they're about to have an epileptic fit and so much more. Mm -hmm. They have an ability to forecast essentially, which I think is extraordinary.
0: It is extraordinary. And this actually, well, this is how it all began. You see, many years ago, I launched the charity called Medical Detection Dogs. And one of the founders was this amazing doctor. You may have heard of him, actually, Lynn, uh, Dr. John Church. He did a lot of work out in Rwanda when there was the terrible wars going on. And he investigated the power of animals. And it was he that said to me years and years ago, Anna, you've obviously read Sheldrake and um, I I actually said well gosh no John I haven't you know and he he talked like this and so he said my dear you simply have to read Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home so I dutifully did and had this massive landmark moment and you know um, the rest is, is history really but you know it was his Belief, Doctor John Church, that animals could smell disease, or that disease kind of has an odor, so that dogs, with their huge olfaction, could obviously smell at a cellular level that there's disease present in their humans. But the bit that is the psychic, the the bit that science can't really pinpoint, is the fact that the dog would tell their owner that they were sick and we had this one amazing case study of a lovely lady called Maureen Burns and her collie. and Maureen actually went to her doctor Lynn and said I know I've got breast cancer my dog has told me um and you know she had five mammograms and they revealed nothing until finally the doctor found a tiny cancer and it was caught so early that treatment was extremely effective it was extraordinary and it was the bond again that she and her collie had and she knew her dog so well that she could really almost understand what the dog was trying to communicate to her. Simply one day by looking in the mirror together, you know, the dog was sat on the bed behind her. She was looking into her mirror in her bedroom and she caught the dog's gaze and there was a a connection and she knew. And it's that knowing, isn't it, Lynn? And probably everyone listening, I've never spoken about this on my podcast before. (laughs) But what do you make of that?
1: Well, no, I think it's knowing. I don't. I think it's beyond smell, to be honest. Right. I think it is because they are able to pick up. I mean, it's been documented, like Rupert Sheldrake, where he's got a split screen with. He's got two cameras and one camera, I'm sure you've talked about this, is on the dog at home and the other is on the owner at work. Mm. And at random times, not the same time every day, the owner leaves, decides to leave. That's it. Decides to leave to come home. Before she even puts on her coat, dog goes from sitting somewhere to the front door to wait. Now, that to me is not just is not smelling, obviously it's a psychic connection. and there are so many instances of this um, of dogs rousting their um, owners awake because they know something's going on, like a fire uh, is about to erupt, or the um, they're about to have an epileptic fit. Now, how do they know that and there's so much psychic ability between other members of the animal kingdom like dolphins, etc., um, and friendships between non-related animals as we talked about before. One of the things that I find fascinating, again, I wrote about it in The Bond, is that animals adopt other animals, not only their own species, but other species you know, they have this ability to be friends and to connect that is beyond and to help and aid that is well beyond any evolutionary advantage. You know, they are not blind robots, you know, uh, programmed by their genes as the neo-Darwinists like Richard Dawkins would say. These are sentient beings. And our problem is we don't get we need to understand far more about how sentient animals are. And that is the extraordinary thing. I mean, I know that there was a story of a chicken. I think it was a chicken that adopted all different kinds of animals and was, and was nursing them. I mean, it was extraordinary until she got to the point where I think one was a rabbit and it was just too big, but, there there are many documented cases of that kind of interspecies, not only friendship, but but mothering. And yes. so we have to start looking and understanding animals on a whole different level. You know, we're the ignorant folk
0: here. I agree, and this is it. I, I really think, you know, mankind has... Uh, lost it I think is one way of putting it Lynn at the moment in a way the pandemic I was you know has perhaps allowed us to go inside a little bit more I mean I know you know the lockdowns they were dreadful and so on but I think you know some introspection is often a, a way of finding you know some humility in a way Lynn would you agree Oh, yeah.
1: And of course, this raises all kinds of issues you know, if animals, I mean, they're discovering, I've been reading a book about how amazingly intelligent octopus, an octopus is. And you start thinking, whoa, this changes everything, you know, how they're able to do things. And they've done all kinds of studies now with birds and lots of other animals demonstrating their extraordinary intelligence. And it's just the communication issue that, and that's the reason we don't know this, but we need to tune in much more and change that paradigm. And that would include with our pets to understand, you know, what it is they know and how sentient they are, how they pick up things. I know. Uh, and,
0: and what we can do to communicate with them better. And I think that's really the way of expanding ourselves a bit, perhaps like your work in the field, you know, to this bigger picture that is the electromagnetic fields that connect us all as emotional sentience, because dogs obviously are, and, you know, governments around the world are, you know, allegedly now, you know, for example, in Spain, they've made animals sentient in in law, as opposed to being chattel. But, you know, they still continue... (laughs) bullfighting <laughs> which yeah. Yeah, seems a yeah. little bit you know not not uh, totally consistent shall we say but it is this humbling i know and, and dogs that know when their owners are coming home i'm so looking forward to reading the bond as i feel that will expand on uh, my learning so far, if you like, with Rupert Sheldrake's work. But thinking about this and, you know, living in London and living in cities, because I know you are a New Yorker, which I also love about you, Lynn, because I adore New York. I I think the world really, well, for me, it revolves around three cities. (laughs) I know, Anna,
1: I should point out, though, I'm an ex-New Yorker. I've lived in London for 30 something years.
0: Yes, I'm here. (laughs) Yes, no, I know. But you see, wait, you see, I really feel, you know, the world is centered around London, Paris and New York. And I think Mm -hmm. once you've lived in any one of those cities, you can easily just adapt and merge and fit because... I lived in Paris for a couple of years when I was much younger working. I absolutely adored it. And, you know, New York is I've visited several times, but I've never lived there or spent a huge amount of time there. But one day, you know, never say never. But I just feel (laughs) as well, it's that kind of energy again. If we're going back to energy, energetic healing, energy that connects us, this invisible network, electromagnetic fields, this aspect that, of course, the Darwinians and so on and conventional scientists, uh, you know, have issues with, you know, I feel that these cities kind of explain it a little bit. Do do you get what I mean? It's like, that's a
1: really interesting thought, Anna. Yeah, because we are, you know, we're closer to each other. We're all cheek by jowl a bit more than you are in the country. And, you know, we we pick up on energy, we pick up on the energy around us. I mean, New York is the super buzzy city I mean it's a place I enjoyed it there I was there when I was you know in my 20s and it was great it was the place where you could get a bagel at three in the morning if you wanted to and it was a place of absolute buzz and connection and networking etc it was it was a place for the very young too Uh, and you had that kind of connections. So I see what you're talking about. It maybe just is that manifest. But the interesting thing about the new science, and that's really what, what my work's all about, is the science that is beyond, that is, and the scientific pioneers who have come up with discoveries that lay waste our scientific paradigm that we have our view of the world because you know science writes the story we live by and the story we've been told up until now is really out of date and so all of the new discoveries that I've been I've been writing about and that occurred from about the 1980s onwards so it's not yesterday even with the advent of quantum physics in the early 20th century but they define us as much much different that we all do have this invisible connection that we're all connected by a quantum energy field that our thoughts are are also out there in the field. A lot of my work is about demonstrating our ability to heal including by the way animals. I mean one of the things that I do is and wrote about was group intention. Group sending thoughts to each other for healing. And it happened by accident just in putting people into groups to try it out um, in a workshop of mine in 2008. and people were experiencing extraordinary healings. Now what I've found is small groups of intention, you know, call them secular prayer groups, if you want, are extraordinarily powerful also for animals. I mean, many of the people who take my courses do these intentions for their pets, or, you know, we've had people do intentions to find a stray cat, you know, a cat that strayed. We've found, uh, we've done intentions to heal horses, all sorts of things like that. And we found, again, that power to heal is something that's there with all of us within all of us and you just need to learn how to access it. And it's not difficult, but there are certain techniques of course, but we all have this innate power. And so I guess what I'm, well, I guess we're talking about is understanding among humans and their pets and all animals, a greater level of intelligence, a greater ability than we've been told that our old story allows and that this new story that's coming through really indicates that we have fast qualities that we just have not tapped into yet.
0: Yes, or that we've lost, you know, we look back to our ancestors that didn't have mobile phones. They didn't have any telephones, they didn't have the internet. And, you know, back in the past, in the hunter and gather age, you know, how on earth did they communicate? You know, they might've killed a huge ancient cow or something, you know, and a couple of people couldn't have taken that cow dead weight all the way back to their little village setup. So it's reported that, you know, lots of people would come to help. But how did they how did they know going back to that word? No, you know, how were people communicating?
1: No, that's such an interesting insight to say, Anna, too, that we've lost it, modern Western man and woman has lost it because as you say, these indigenous cultures um, really understood that. I mean, I, I find it very fascinating that na- certain native cultures will operate on you know, native time. They won't set a time to meet in the morning. They'll all just be there. Mm. Or you have um, certain Indians, certain Indians in the Amazon, Um, and and native cultures there, who are, uh, they operate according to different rules. And one of the most interesting rules is that they get together in the morning to share their dreams, because they believe that's when, that's the true reality, that the information they receive in their dreams is actually the greater reality. And that this is provides forecasting for the whole tribe so again these are people who have used these kinds of powers for generations many
0: many generations and we we can learn from them too Absolutely, absolutely. Gosh, I we could talk for ages on this. It was funny in my episode, with Rupert actually mentioned the Amazon. He was teasing me a bit because I, I mentioned about this rather freaky experience that I had in India, actually, when uh, I went out in a little boat hoping to see some wild dolphins you see in in Kerala and uh, the driver said look you're just absolutely wasting your time it's the wrong time of day and I was a bit cross because my friend who I went with we'd spent the morning at a temple and you know I think temples are okay but you know to be honest when you've seen one you've kind of seen them all a bit <laughs> so um and I was so keen to see these wild dolphins anyway so we'd been out in this boat for an hour or so and it was getting dark as it does you near know, the equator and uh, we had to turn around and there was no sign of any dolphins and I was in a really bad mood and I was just thinking Lynn this is <laughs> I was just thinking I know you're there This would really make a big difference to my holiday. I just really want to see some wild dolphins. Please, please show yourself. Please, please. I mean, I would love this to happen. Well, you wouldn't believe it. This huge dolphin suddenly came bursting out like you see on the films this it was bigger than our little boat the driver was just like so shocked you couldn't believe it he cut the engine straight away and then two more dolphins came up and one dolphin came right beside me I touched her him and then the one that had done the big leap came right up you know sort of out of the water vertically and it was just staring at me with this most dark beady eye and it was utterly, it freaked me out because I knew what I'd been thinking and nobody else did. And my friend Louise is a photographer and she had all her kits with her, but she was so freaked out. She forgot to take a photograph and the driver was seriously, couldn't believe it. And they hung with us for, I don't Five minutes, maybe a bit more. I nearly got in the water, and that really startled me. Really, so Rupert teased me. I told Rupert about it. He teased me. He said, "Anna, in a previous life, <laughs> he said you could go and be a sh- you can be a shaman in the Amazon," <laughs> and it just made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you bet,
1: absolutely. well it's a perfect example. It's a perfect example. And of course, we don't document these amazing situations. It's like knowing, not hearing from someone for five years and them phoning you and thinking of them and them suddenly phoning you or you thinking, I'm going to hear from this person. The person comes into your head for no reason. Again, you haven't heard from them for five or 10 years and they do. Well, it's that kind of psychic ability that we just don't we don't cultivate and you've demonstrated that, you know, out of nowhere, this giant dolphin appears, you know, after you've been thinking about it. So we need to do more of this. We need to do more study of this and appreciation and use of it. And as I say, we're seeing it all the time with animals responding to the power of intention Mm. as a healer, a healer.
0: and it's it's brilliant. I I just you know I I, I just love this because it kind of gives you hope in a way that there is more to our existence um, than simply you know the materialism. I suppose.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've seen. You know, I've been doing Power of Eight groups, as I say, since. 2008. I've also done giant intention experiments. This gets really wacky where I've been working with scientists around the world who are at prestigious universities like Princeton and um, University of Arizona, Penn State, et cetera, who have set up uh, very well-controlled studies. And I've had my audience send intention to change something. And we've done everything from trying to make seeds grow faster, to purifying water, uh, making moving it via one pH, to uh, lowering violence in war-torn areas, to healing someone of post-traumatic stress. And I've done more than 40 of these with you know, thousands of people around the world participating all at the same time, and the scientists doing the calculations. And of those 40, 36 have shown positive, measurable, mostly, Um, significant um, effects. And with the small groups, the power of eight groups, small group healing for some member of the group or outside, you know, we've had thousands of healings. I've had two people get out of their wheelchairs. I've had people cancel surgery. People reverse their cancer. I mean, extraordinary, extraordinary stuff over and over and over again. And I don't need any more convincing that we do have these abilities we just need to cultivate them
0: yes yes or lynn well everyone can find out a bit more can't they in june so just give everyone a quick heads up of the amazing exhibition that's coming to islington in june where i'm honored to be offering a talk
1: well we're so thrilled to have you anna and we're going to be at it's called the natural health care and natural pet care show so we've got two shows in one Um, and it's going to be at the Business Design Center from June 17th to 19th, and we would be delighted to have you there. We've got speakers who are going to be talking about all kinds of things about animals and all kinds of ways to heal humans too, and loads of exhibitors demonstrating all kinds of amazing ways to heal
0: yourself and your pet. It's going to be great. And for me, you know, it's fabulous. I I don't have to travel awfully far to get there, which uh, is a great bonus. (laughs) Absolutely, Anna. And what day are you speaking on? I believe I'm speaking on the Friday. I oh, just wasn't sure which day to, to nab, really, for, for the, the talk, Lynn, really. I hope visitors will come on the Friday.
1: Oh, it, Friday's always a busy day, but everybody out there, come and see Anna on the Friday. And then there are, as I say, all sorts of other things to see as well and to pick up for your, your pet and yourself.
0: Yes, it's going to be great. I mean, I'll, I'm certain I'll be there more than just on the Friday as well, just to learn, sit in. I'd lo- I'm, I would shall be sitting in on your talks, Lynn, that's for sure. So, Thank you so uh, much. And I should probably mention that our the website is getwell.solutions. Uh, yes, but the show is called The Natural Health Show. Yes. Natural health care and natural pet care shows. Yeah. And I love the way you've integrated pets into this because this is the first time, right, that pets have actually got a whole dedicated section. Absolutely, Anna. And I think one of the
1: exciting things that's really happening is the natural pet care movement is really growing, hugely growing. Um, I'm excited to see that there are so many natural animal foods, pet foods now out there there are so many uh natural animal treatments um there are you know it's more and more of a as i say of a a, an explosive movement toward doing the same for your animal as you do for yourself um there's we're going to have a lot a lot about raw food too and the pros and cons etc etc so if you're interested in in natural pet care and natural human care for yourself. It's a, it's a good one-stop shop.
0: Absolutely. Well, our listeners are interested in natural health and um, many of them are already raw food feeders and interested in homeopathy and red light therapy too, which is something else um, is one of my big passions actually since 2014. I know that's uh, going to be showcased at the show. So it is, it's really exciting. And I love the fact that natural health is really, as you say, exploding in pets. It's been a long time coming, I think. And yes, it's all going to be showcased at the business design center in june cannot wait lynn and thank you so much for giving us your time today thank you so much anna it's been a real pleasure to speak with you that's our show mr binks what did you think yes it is very interesting the realms of possibility to explore naturally what's that oh yes you're right it is time for woof of the week (laughs) it's the date for your diary the natural pet care show the 17th to the 19th of june at the business design center in london well i hope you all enjoyed it if you did please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts thanks again to lynn mctaggart and i definitely will be attending one of her talks at the natural pet care show all the links to Lynn and the show and how to buy your tickets are in the show notes. Thanks also, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer. Find out more about him at Pod People UK and I'm at Anna Web Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. Why don't you subscribe now? Because that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now.